hello there, ladies and gentlemen. It is 7 o'clock on Thursday. This is the second week in a row that we are giving you a uh, special uh, special timed episode. I am joined for the second week in a row as well by our good friend Tom. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Joe. How's it going? Oh, you know, just trying to stay warm. Hopefully all of you who are on the... Uh, the eastern side of the United States are keeping warm. If you are in the northeast, you are getting pummeled with snow. I probably have a foot outside. Um, yeah, it is not fun. Um, <clears throat> but I have a nice snowblower, so that worked out well. Uh, the rangers are kind of making this a pain in the ass as well. So, you know, that's sort of a problem. But before we get into that, I just wanted to let you guys know this is the first show of 2018. So happy new year to all of you. And our very first show is going to be sponsored by Casper. So we have had Casper on before. Here's the thing. And it is, uh, you know, this is something that's really important for us as we kind of go through this. We were talking to you guys before. There's a few things before I get into the Casper read that I just want to um, kind of talk about if possible. The first thing, please go rate us. Go to iTunes, um, if that's how you listen to us, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever you're doing, um, and rate us. I am not ashamed to use pictures of my new daughter to make you go do that, so I will start doing that on social media, but it helps other people find us. Um, it helps other people you know, get this coverage, and when they search for Rangers blogs and Rangers podcasts on iTunes, there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, it will help us get found, so if you listen to us on iTunes, if you uh, like us, then please leave, you know, five stars, a nice little comment. If you don't like us, you don't, you don't have to leave anything. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, also, if you guys could jump into the Patreon, if you can, patreon.com slash blue shirt banter. Um, we've had a pretty big influx of patron supporters as we've gone through the end of 2017. We appreciate all of you. We appreciate that. Um, that goes a really long way to helping us continue to do this and, you know, make the show a little bit better for you guys in terms of sound quality, audio, and all that stuff. And then, uh, as I was saying before, this show is sponsored by Casper. Casper is the uh, the mattress that you've probably seen all over the place because you sleep in a bed every single day. third of your life, you're sleeping in a bed. So it is the original Casper mattress, which combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount of both sink and bounce because... Who doesn't want that? Uh, it's breathable design helps you sleep cool and relegate your body temperature throughout the night, which is very important. And they have 20,000 reviews. They're a lot better at getting reviews than we are. Uh, an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. Um, Casper is quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. They also offer two types of mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night, which is good because then you can get some sleep. So you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial, um, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and you get $50 towards select matches by visiting casper.com slash blue shirt banter and using the promo code banter. So that is um, casper.com slash blue shirt banter. Uh, the promo code is blue shirt banter and you get $50 towards select matches um, by going to that URL and using that promo code terms and conditions do apply. Um, so Tom, speaking of sleeping, the Rangers have sort of uh, been putting us to sleep recently we got the Winter Classic, which was nice. We'll talk about that. We got a shootout loss to Detroit, which was not nice. We got an absolute shellacking by Chicago last night, which was also not nice. Um, the title of this podcast is Who Are the Real New York Rangers? And I think it's, a, uh, I think it's probably the pertinent question right now. So I'm going to throw you kind of a wide, a wide berth question on this one the past, I don't know, two or three weeks, I think we've seen a lot of the warts that we've saw back in October. Um, are you a little concerned with what you're seeing right now out of the Rangers? It's a tough question. And I say that because to say that there would be a level of concern would to suggest that they're playing at a level that we kind of, uh, haven't seen before. And I preface that by saying that this team 
we have seen go through these sort of struggles and, you know, they get to a point where they're playing very well. Earlier in the year, it was because of the power play. It was Henrik Lundqvist's goaltending that was masking up a lot of these so-called warts. And to me, they're showing the team that they are. It's a team that isn't all that great. And if you look at the last little stretch, and I, I look at it from the perspective of 10-game ten, ten increments, because as I, you know, on banter, I do, you know, every 10 games of game score and, and looking at all those different elements. And this most recent, recent stretch of 10 games, which would, um, Chicago would be the last one, and it would include, uh, let's see, one, two, three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, going all the way back to the five, two win over New Jersey. Um, Personally, I'm not surprised. I think the Rangers are at a point where we have seen before where I I think, I forget who, I think it was Mika uh, the other day or a couple of days ago on Twitter uh, was talking about the, Oh, you know, you know, bloggers are like, Oh, Rangers are concerned. And then it's like, Oh, they're in the playoff spot at this point. You know, and then next year, oh, the Rangers are in a playoff spot. Hmm. The next year, Rangers are in a playoff spot. Hmm. So they sort of, sort of dismiss the, you know, the chicken little, oh, the sky is falling mentality. Um, but I am certainly a little bit more concerned about the state of the team, more so because we have, you know, a lot of frequent line changes again, breaking the cardinal rule of, you know, keep the lineup together. After a win, we saw them win the Winter Classic, and then they jambled the lines, which I'm not 100% against because Faust was a unexpected return to the lineup, so you kind of assume that you would want to give him a full practice and then sort of roll things in. But as we can go into more detail later, this is sort of the Henrik Lundqvist you know, doing everything, stopping everything, and posting elite-level goaltending, which is covering up a lot of sins. Yeah, and I think that's what we've <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I think that's kind of what we've been saying for a really long time. I, I tweeted out this morning, we've been warning, and I, I've said this on the podcast uh, so many times that it's it's getting to the point where I'm sick of saying it, that – the New York Rangers right now are not a very different team from the New York Rangers in October. Even on that winning streak, it was really Lundqvist kind of going into God mode and a power play that was converting at 42%. I mean, most teams that have those two things are going to do pretty well. And as the power play crashed back down to earth, so did the Rangers. I'm just looking at some of their, let's say for the past two weeks, they lose to the Maple Leafs. They beat the Capitals. They lose to the Red Wings. They beat the Sabres in the Winter Classic. And then they lose to Chicago. You can't drop points to the Red Wings. The Rangers eked by the Sabres in the Winter Classic. And the Rangers got shellacked by the Blackhawks. We've seen over the course of the past, I don't know, call it a month and a half, some of the worst possession underlying advanced metrics games the Rangers have had in forever. The game against the Stars comes to mind. Um, the Rangers got destroyed last night by Chicago. And it, it's interesting because this team does have the ability, they have the talent to play well enough to hang with, you know, the Capitals. And they kind of hung with the Blackhawks a little bit. But again, a lot of that is Henrik Lundqvist. And when you look at this team and you look at, I guess the body of work that they've put together this year, they're doing the same things right now that they were doing in their winning streak in November and the same things that they were doing in their losing streak out of the gate in October. And there's a constant there. And the constant is the people behind the bench, the players, and the constant is the coaches behind the bench. And I think we're starting to see the media maybe – you know, Zippe wrote a story about needing Vigneault to kind of get the Rangers back into the playoffs. I think we're very slowly, you know, we're getting to the point in the year where people, 
They don't really go out on a limb, but they sort of hedge their bets a little bit like, oh, you know, I did write that one story that one time about because then you can say, oh, well, you know, everybody had questions about Vigneault, but it's it's maddening. I mean, Buchnevich isn't getting top six minutes, uh, which continues to boggle my mind. The defensive usage and pairings continues to be just absolute insanity. The Rangers are sort of hedging their bets on these internal sophisticated stats that Vigneault has, but nobody else can see and know about. And what happens? I mean, the body of work that the Rangers have put together is not encouraging. You can't lose to the Red Wings, almost lose to the Sabres, and then get smoked by the Blackhawks. And, you know, nobody bats an eye, and that is what it is. I just don't think there's enough here for the Rangers right now especially with Kreider missing, to tell me that they're going to be anything more than a fringe playoff team. And you don't go out and make a big move to try to replace Kreider because you're a fringe playoff team. The Rangers aren't a big move away from becoming Stanley Cup contenders unless they kind of radically change things. Um, I just think this season is putting a lot of things in perspective. I think we're going to get a lot of answers this summer as to how Gordon views the team. Because again, he's been relatively silent here. I mean, Hoffman's available for Ottawa. The Rangers haven't pulled the trigger or even really been rumored to do anything like that, which I don't necessarily think is the worst thing in the world. Um, Anthony Duclair supposedly is demanding a trade from the Coyotes. That's kind of a move that I would be a little bit more interested in. Maybe not specifically since the Rangers would be kind of admitting the mistake that they made to trade him in the first place, but a younger player who can maybe be a future asset to the team instead of an over-the-hill veteran to try to combat what's going on with Kreider being out. Um, but again, the Rangers can't fix the problems they have right now, which leads me to believe that adding another player to the mix isn't exactly going to, you know, fix things. Tom, I said a lot of words. Well, what are your I thoughts on that? Yeah, so I have a couple of things. Uh, firstly, I, I one of the things, and it was... Um, it was brought up on Twitter this morning, and it was a perfect sort of concept that really put into perspective some of the things that I've been seeing but didn't quite know how to articulate. This concept of Elaine Vigneault was successful in Vancouver and you know, early on with the Rangers because he emphasized this speed game. And by speed game, one of the terms that a lot of people – you know, throw around is the Rangers are a team that they love to generate offense on the rush. They love to activate their defensemen, join them in on the rush and sort of play that sort of fast hockey. But what we've seen over the last few years is we've seen a shift to having more skilled forwards, more uh, speedy forwards in your, not just your top six, but your bottom six to have a balanced lineup. So that sort of advantage that the Rangers used to have or this sort of tactic that Vigneault liked to deploy has sort of become nullified as the rest of the league has gathered speed. Last night, I think it was a couple of situations, more so in the third period, while they were still trying to tie the game. It almost felt to me like I was watching three-on-three hockey, and by that I mean that you had rushes going one way and then rushes going back. You had sloppy sort of passes that were getting intercepted and you were sort of trading back and forth. So it was a sort of concept that when you are not the fastest team, you may sort of get that advantage of going up the ice to trying to generate a chance. But once it turns, you're not getting back as quickly and then you're exposed. But in the Rangers case, they have Henrik Lundqvist, who, you know, is an elite goaltender and is going to cover up a lot of those sins. Speaking to your point about the possession game and bleeding shots, you know, and I pulled my numbers this morning for the last, you know, 10-game increment, which I'll probably write about and go up on Monday. The team went 5-3-2 and two in the last 10 games and picked up 12 of a possible 20 points. In core seed inferential, it was another horrendous 10-game stretch. Um, there were only three players with a positive differential. Mark Stahl was plus 14. Zibanejad was plus three. And Letary was plus one, but he only played in one game. 
Uh, Kreider was minus two. Miller was minus five. And then after that, every other player was a double-digit negative, with the worst defenders being minus 60, minus 51, minus 49, minus 37, and minus 35 of that grouping to our defense partners who play together. So it's sort of the situation where you look at the way that they're playing and it's all good and well that this is a style that the Rangers have played, but it's clearly not working anymore. Um, I mean, I guess you could say it's somewhat working because Henrik Lundqvist is in a a really impressive uh, stretch right now where, you know, Mika put up the numbers of the last 12 games in context uh, from 12-1-2017 to the present. He's 6-4-2 with 32.8 saves per hour, a 9-3-4 save percentage and the 2.30 goals against average. And this is only the second time in his career in which he's gone 12 straight games posting a, you know, 900 save percentage or better uh, in, you know, in each and every game. So, He's really doing a lot that's covering up for how bad they are playing in terms of of possession. And you bring up, obviously, the loss of Kreider. We still don't know when he's going to be back. My guess is that a lot of it's going to be dependent on where the Rangers are come, you know, trade deadline. Because if they're a team that isn't going to make a lot of noise – then it makes no sense to sort of rush him back sort of similar to, you know, what the Mets were kind of doing with when they had all of these injuries, you know, they didn't want to bring back Cindergaard for no reason, but they gave him the one start to show that he could throw. And it was more of a motivational confidence for him, but it's just sort of baffling because this is a consistent level of, of play in a, in a negative fashion, this is something that we've seen in stretches under Vigneault's tenure sans the, you know, the first year he was here. And it at least seems to me that they've sort of been spiraling a little bit more and more and more downhill each and every season. Obviously, Stanley Cup final, conference final, first round out, and second round out where you know, you could have even said that they got a little bit lucky last year because they maybe shouldn't have got out of the first round, you know, but, you know, Pavel Buchnevich sort of, you know, made some things happen when he replaced Tanner Glass. And obviously that was nullified when he was replaced in the Ottawa series. So I don't quite know what is going to happen. Jeff Gorton's been quiet. He hasn't really said much. And it's to me, it's a little bit different because uh, at least from my recollection that every so often you would kind of hear from Glenn Sather just to sort of know that, you know, he's in charge, he's on top of what's happening. And it maybe not have been him, you know, physically in front of a camera or anything like that, but he would, you know, drop little bits and pieces, you know, through the media and it would be all this, you know, sources, you know, close to the Rangers say, blah, 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 blah but that hasn't happened here. It'll be interesting to see what happens. They're obviously going to Arizona this weekend. You know, they'll play, you know, Stepan and Ranta, and then they, you know, play Vegas. And that, to me, is just has a complete trap game written all over it that'll, you know, if they don't play well, they're going to write it off as, look how well Vegas has played against every team at home. And it was a situation where the Rangers were looking ahead at the bye week I see no Which reason is kind why. Of, I mean, it's kind of what continue. we've been dealing with this entire time. You know, you're you're, you're talking about a, a media that I think has kind of lost their teeth in a lot of respects, but more importantly, a coaching staff that is able to get away with with not really owning what this team is, and and that's part of the problem. I'm not a, I am not a believer that the media makes a difference. Um, in terms of like the day-to-day of the team, you know, I don't think that Vigneault or Tortorella or anybody makes a, a decisions based on what the media said the day before. But if the media consistently brings up issues like Buchnevich not playing, or in the case of Tortorella, Kreider not playing, it does make a, a, 
I don't want to say statement, but it becomes obvious that this is not something that's just going to go away. And Vigneault hasn't had to answer those questions. So what ends up happening is nothing changes. You know, the same things happen over and over and over again. And we've seen it. And, and I've, Tom, I have banged that drum every single time that people get in my face about what Vigneault has done with this team and, and how he's the second coming, which is that the best that he did in New York, he had the least amount of control over the lineup. When he came in in 2014, that team was built already by Sather. There was no real need for him to do anything. Um, he just came in, he coached, and that was it. The minute he got his hands on the player personnel in 2015, I think you saw that summer, the Rangers letting Strawman walk. They didn't even negotiate with him. The Rangers bringing in Tanner Glass. The Rangers letting Puyat go. That move is defensible because of the contract that he got in Edmonton. Um, there's a lot of it's, – it's, it's worth mentioning that this team got way worse when he got his hands on some of those personnel decisions. And something and that frustrates me – go ahead. And if, if you even want to go back to that first year, I mean, you look back and you say they, they made it to the cup final, but they were down and out against Pittsburgh. And then there was a situation where, you know, obviously, you know, Marty Sandley's mother tragically passes away and they got new life and they, they just went on this, this, this run and they looked like a completely different team. And even going back, you know, before that, that trade of, of Callahan out and Stanley in sort of reinvigorated the team and it sort of put things in a new perspective. And you can say that that was, once again, a sort of hands-off move that you can't say, well, it was coaching that, that put them in that position. And I would say that the lack of tinkering vis-a-vis keeping that fourth line together which was just simply amazing with you know Moore and, and Boyle um Dorset. that was exactly you have that plus everyone who else was in in the lineup and everyone just sort of seemed to fit or you know Broussard and Zuccarello and Puglia there were so many different little combinations that were just kept together through through good times and through bad and it worked And you, if you look back at that series, he did. That was the third line, which a lot of people forget: the Broussard, Zuccarello, Puyat, and keeping them together through thick and thin. Not only did it help them get chemistry, but it, it really kind of set the tone for what the Rangers were. It seems like Vigneault finds like Holden McDonough is never going anywhere, so that stays forever. But the forward line, KZB, which was clearly the best and really only source of offense that the Rangers were getting, that doesn't stay together. Now, Zabinijad got hurt. Now, Kreider is hurt. Um, we're definitely we're, we're seeing Vigneault need to get a little bit creative just because of the fact that there are injuries. Um, you know, Jesper Faust magically made his way into the lineup during the Winter Classic and had a huge assist on the first goal by Paul Carey, who you should probably talk about how good he's been too. But the point is that when you expect to see him maybe make a move, um, you don't. And then when you expect him to keep things together, he doesn't. So listen, uh, we've, we've talked about Vigneault a lot on this podcast. Uh, it's not just a today thing. It's, it's something that we've probably done for the past two years. I get it. In a lot of senses, it is beating a dead horse. When you have a team like the Rangers, that goes through such a dramatic overhaul of personnel. I mean, you're talking about the old core being shipped out. You're, forget Ranta, but Stepan going wayside, um, Broussard leaving, the Rangers kind of just bringing in this new core, and you're seeing the exact same thing. You know, Girardi's gone, Shankirk's back in. That's, these are not little moves. This summer was relatively dramatic in terms of just, adjustments to this lineup and this team this is a very different team than the team that we saw last year in the playoffs and it looks exactly the same as the team we saw last year in the playoffs so there's one constant there and you know the answer it's it's the coaching staff 
this isn't some easy answer. Oh, you're just blaming whoever you're you want because it's easy. It is what it is. These are the same people. This it's the same thing. Lindy Ruff has changed nothing from Ulf Samuelson, you know, to Lindy Ruff to Jeff Bookaboom. Jeff Bookaboom. All the same. It is all the same, and that's a problem. And nobody seems to talk about it. Vigneault has a lot of credit in the media for, you know, he makes their job easier. He's a guy who's had tons of regular season success. He's a guy who's had a significant amount of playoff success. He's also a guy who's had Roberto Luongo, Corey Schneider, and Henrik Lundqvist as his starting goaltenders. But, you know, we talked about this last week. We went back in the article after Vigneault got fired in Vancouver. It's a lot of the same stuff. So I don't want to harp on it too much. We've already spent 26 minutes kind of talking about just Vigneault, but I do think that's a big part of this because until that changes, nothing is going to change because it continues to be the same thing. You know, we are starting to see the media and it's when a guy like Zippe, who I would say is a more conservative beat reporter, kind of starts getting on this wagon, obviously people are coming around to this idea. And we've talked about this for years. I mean, years. So I get it. It's not maybe the most comfortable conversation, but the Rangers need to do something different because this is not going to get it done. Now, Tom, let me shift the, the question a little bit. If Jeff Gordon, if you're Jeff Gordon and you're looking at this team right now, if I'm Jeff Gordon, I'm trying to get assets for Grabner, and I think you could get a ton of them. I'm having serious, serious self-reflection about trading McDonough during this offseason. Um, you're going to have to make decisions on Miller. You're going to have to make decisions on Hayes. Um, you're going to have a Bushnevich contract coming up, a Shea contract coming up. Are you thinking the Rangers should be a little bit more sell-ish as they we kind of creep towards the trade deadline? Or do you think this team is going to try to make a move? It's always been my belief you can be a good team and have assets, but the great teams are the ones that are opportunistic. The great teams are the ones that have the foresight to sort of, you know, read the lay of the land and make moves that may be sort of questioned or reactionary, but there's a, a bigger plan in place. We've already mentioned, you know, the the Kreider thing, and I, I think that's something that you know many people are underselling just a little bit, especially the way you know he's his absence from the power play for one. And I look at this roster and say, of all the players on this roster, who do I see on the team next year, or better? Who do I want? It's going to be an interesting situation. The salary cap is set to rise, you know, one of the biggest jumps year to year in recent memory. I think it will be, you know, somewhere, you know, around 80 million, you know, I think 78, 80 or 82 million. I think those were the three sort of jumps. And Michael Grabner is not going to be on this team next year. Not that he's not a good fit in terms of what he can bring offensively, where he maybe has found a bit of a, a niche. Not that he doesn't like New York, but he's going to ask for a legitimate contract, and he's very entitled to do so. He sort of revived his career with the Rangers, and, and good on him. Great guy, but some team will pay or offer a little bit more than he's worth, and he's going to take that deal. We thought last year that he was doing something that would not be repeated vis-a-vis goal scoring, but he's scoring goals again this year, leading the team in scoring and goal scoring, and I didn't think that was going to happen. So he's a definitely someone that has got to go no matter what. You will get some form of a good asset for him. And even if it's not your conventional – trading an offensive player at the deadline, but he's versatile in, you know, killing penalties. He's a guy that on a really stacked team could be a great third liner. Some of the, these really deep playoff teams, they can roll 
three centers deep and, and are very talented. So you have that sort of, you know, pseudo checking slash, you know, offense line that is going against a team's, you know, weaker third pairing. So Grabner definitely. The McDonough situation is one that I've done a lot of talking about offline with Mika. We've sort of been trying to look at things of it's where his age, what the cap will be, because that will sort of dictate what his uh, average annual salary will be. And I keep going back to the fact that he's going to want a max deal. He's seen what can happen with players and there's this uncertainty with, you know, the play, the way the style he plays that your career can be over in an instant. He saw Michael Sauer's career end. He saw, you know, Mark Stahl have the concussion, have the puck in the eye. He saw Zuccarello tuck, you know, take the puck to the head. Thank God that he returned from that. He saw Dan Girardi sort of diminish at the end. So, you know, he's a guy that, you know, know, just had a, has a child. He wants to provide financial security for that. So he's going to rightfully ask for a long-term deal at a, at a term that is fair to him and, and fair to the market. We can and, all and not agree to cut that you off, he did. But he never got his big contract either, which exactly. you know, a, a lot of these players, maybe if, if take a guy like Brad Richards, for example, who at the end of his career took two one year, basically minimum dollar contracts. Well, he also got two major contracts and got bought out of one of them. McDonough never got that contract. The Rangers signed him to, what is it, a 4.25 or something million-dollar deal? No, 4.7. 4.7. He took it it because it was guaranteed money when he was a rookie. The Rangers didn't play games. They didn't bridge him. So for the past five years, you can make an argument that McDonough is a $7 to $8 million defenseman. And he was getting paid far below market value. One of the best contracts in the NHL. So as much as fans love to turn around and cry greedy when a player asks for a lot of money, McDonough's a guy who has been playing for, I don't want to say pennies on the dollar, but quarters on the dollar. So don't be surprised when he asks for a lot. And he should ask for a lot because it's his last big contract. Uh, Go ahead, Tom. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no problem. So that's another situation that the Rangers need to weigh internally, whether it's, you know, okay, we see Ryan McDonough as player X now. We see him as player Y a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And this is the type of team. And part of me wonders if the fact that the collective bargaining agreement, there's that sort of uncertainty where I believe it's, September of 2019 or September of 2020, where both sides have the opportunity to opt out. And it's, I think it's a week between. So there's this, this potential situation that players are going to, you know, go to war with the owners again. And there's the potential that they're going to look to take, you know, even more of a share because the owners are always looking to sort of maximize revenue and take as much as they can from the players. So there's also that uncertainty. So I would definitely, I think that's something that will be more of a summer discussion because a team that may be interested in McDonough would want to do so when they can acquire him in the summer, they can sort of figure out what they want to pay him and then make the corresponding moves so that he'll fit under the cap for subsequent seasons. Personally, it wouldn't be all that surprising to me if he wanted to play for the Wild. Maybe he wants to, you know, he's a Minnesota kid, and there's something to be said for these guys that they want to play where they grew up. And the Wild are a team that I believe could use someone like McDonough. Right now, the way that they're, their defense is set up. They obviously have uh, Ryan Suter, and then they have a couple of guys that they're quite, you know, not completely sure of yet. You know, Jonas Brodin, yeah, they, they've signed him, though. And then you have Matt Dumba and, and, you know, things like that. Obviously, you also have uh, – I'm trying to think who it is – right-handed defenseman. But it, they signed him to a big deal. I'm going to 
Google him, but there's there's a tons of teams that would love Ryan McDonough because off the top of my head, in terms of defensemen who are available, this summer you have John Carlson who will be a free agent. Then two years Eric from now Carlson. you'll have Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty both hitting the market at the same time. And Eric so, Carlson is going to – and we talked about this too – uh, that's a contract that I would stay away from because you're going to overpay Carlson. Right. But he's going to get maybe one of the biggest contracts we've ever seen because I don't think a defenseman of his caliber has become available in I, – I, I don't think there's an example. I, I can't think of an example of a defenseman of his caliber hitting the market. It's going to be insane. Oh, totally. It's going to be something that we haven't seen in a while because there haven't been many – star players that actually hit on restricted free agency. I believe the last mega, mega star who hit unrestricted free agency in their prime was Kovalchuk when he uh, re-signed with the Devils when it looked like he was going to go to the Kings. And then he signed the first deal with the Devils, and then they, they wiped it out, and then they had to rework it. And then there was the fine and the loss of picks, but then New Jersey got that pick back magically. Uh, Richards was obviously another big deal. But there's also the potential this summer if, if John Tavares hits the market. So that could make things a little interesting as well. But the other player who I would say of this roster is interesting from the unrestricted variety is Rick Nash. And obviously that got a lot more play because Dreger was on the game last night and he pretty much regurgitated everything that's been said. The Rangers love Nash. Nash loves New York. He's expected, you know, he's going to take a haircut from his his salary. Uh, He's not scoring again. He's doing all the other little things. He's great in the locker room. He's a great mentor, yada, yada, yada. But it comes down to, do the Rangers, are they a better team keeping Rick Nash now? Or are they a better team selling him to, you know, the, the proverbial highest bidder, knowing that he would want to return in free agency. I mean, the way that he's played as of late, he's just clearly snake bitten. He's doing everything but scoring. And it's that cliche player needs a change of scenery. They need to go into a spot where they're out of the limelight. They're not expected to shoulder the load, even though it's fair to say that Nash hasn't been in that same archetype as, you know, top, goal scorer expected to score 40 you know expected to score 30 he's sort of melded into that 2025 while providing excellent defensive play two-way ability killing penalties and all that jazz so if the rangers see rick nash as being a part of their future i don't know why they wouldn't try to trade him and then bring him back but you can do that under the table too it's illegal, exactly. but you can do it. it, and teams do it all the time. So, oh, totally. I mean, look, look at what the I think it was back in uh, the nineteen uh, nineties or, or late nineties or early two thousands when the Rangers didn't re-sign Mike Richter right away, but they traded his rights for a draft pick, and shortly after that, they re-signed him. It was this, you know, the sort of they used to do that with Leach too. It, it, yeah, it's it's borderline. It, I mean, every team does it. They don't admit it. I mean, it it makes sense because if you like to play in a particular market, you the team can always say, you know, we weren't where we wanted to be this year, but we respect the player and their desire to go and try and win a Stanley Cup. And we sort of talked to them in free agency and said, you know, this is what we're looking to do. We're going to rebuild and blah, 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 blah. And then they – and then no one bats an eye, even though they know, yeah, you're full of shit. This was a prearranged marriage, and you know he's coming back. But the other players, potentially, if they make a decision on Hayes, they make a decision on Miller. But it goes back to, I mean, not to bring up Vigneault again, but you kind of don't want to make any major moves if you're not convinced that the team is going in the direction philosophically, organizationally. So it's a lot easier to say we're going to keep the roster as is in terms of adding roster players. You're fine sending out for future assets 
And then it's a situation where it's towards the end of the year, you call up all the kids, you sort of give them an, an opportunity to show what they got. And then you have a sense of, okay, I have three quality forwards in Hartford and I have three quality defenders. I could see player A playing on the fourth line. I could see player B playing on the third line. I could see, you know, this defenseman on the second pair. And then it creates more conversations of the mill. Maybe in the off season, I'll package so-and-so and so-and-so, and then they'll slot in there, and then they open up the cap. And it's a, it's a lot of, you know, moving and shaking, but I think that's better suited for the off season maximize the players that you don't see as being a part of the future sans the Nash situation where they can try and benefit. But other than that, I don't think there's a trade to be made that fixes the Rangers. You could say that Ottawa tried doing something like that by adding Duchesne and getting rid of Turris, but that deal hasn't worked out. So there is no one magic pill that the Rangers can take to to get them from where they are to where they want to go. But yeah, trade, trade, rambling, but trade everyone that is not going to be part of the team next year, because that's just common sense. And then you reevaluate during the summer. Well, you're going to get all or nothing. I I think you're not going to, I don't think the Rangers are going to play the game where, Oh, we'll just, you know, We'll just move Grabner. If the Rangers are going to do it, they're going to do it. And uh, unfortunately, I just don't see it happening. The the Rangers are so gung-ho on contending and this idea that we have to get hot at the right time. We have Henrik Lundqvist and we can do anything with him, and that's true. But I don't think selling off assets, it's not going to make that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things to what the Rangers are. That's all. Um yeah, but we're going to see. We're going to get so many answers at the uh, by the trade deadline. We're going to have a really good idea of what Gordon thinks and, and what Gordon is doing. And, and, Tom, I totally agree with your point. You don't want to make these moves unless you know who the coach is going to be. And it's very possible Gordon is totally fine with Vigneault as the head coach. But you don't make these moves without that being known, if you will. Now, and if we've gone 43 case- minutes. Oh, go ahead. And if that's the case, that he's fine with Vigneault being the coach, that's fine if that's his opinion. But tailor the lines and the roster to fit that philosophy. Like, as we said, what's going on right now isn't working. But if he's all in with AV, then you have to have a plan for what players do we need to best execute this system. And if that's not the case, then that's also another thing that you address during the summer, not mid-season, when too much is up in the air. Yeah, and you'd think they would have done that already. And I don't know. I don't know. There's so much disconnect between what we see on the ice and what you would think Vigneault and Gordon are talking about that it's it's almost impossible to to really figure it out. Um We've now gone 44 minutes without talking about the Winter Classic. We need to talk about the Winter Classic. Um, Tom, you were freezing, were you not? Freezing? I would say that I dressed in layers, like layers upon layers upon layers. The only thing that was cold towards the third period was my toes because I stupidly only wore one pair of socks, which were allegedly, when I went on Amazon, it's like, oh, these are great. They're, They're actually hunting socks. Or like those people that they go out and hunt um, where I live. There's a lot of people that, you know, they hunt and it's, you know, they're, they're standing in a tree stand or sitting in a tree stand all day and they're not moving. So it would keep their feet warm, but yeah, they, they really didn't do anything for me. So my, my feet were the only thing cold, but it was uh, quite an experience. Yeah. What was the, uh, the atmosphere like? The best way I can describe it, it was sort of, it was, you walk in and there's obviously a ton of people and it reminded me at least from when I went to game five of the 2015 world series at city field, where there's a lot of people and they're in a good mood and they're, you know, excited, they're nervous. It's this 
this palpable emotion and you have a lot of people there. You have some people there that are just there for the novelty of it. They're there because it's something different. It's an outdoor game. They don't happen all that often, at least in this area. And once you got in, the first thing that, at least for me, is I'm so used to walking into to City Field. I've you know been there, you know, dozens of times. And you just look out onto the field, and it's just so weird to see a rink set up, and you see all this this decorations where they had tarps that were made to look like New York City streets, which to me, the streets were clean, so they didn't look like New York City streets. You have these cabs going back and forth. You have these fake sort of subway stairs, and you have road signs to Buffalo, north on 87, west on I-90, or to New York, east on I-90, south on 87. So they sort of were tailoring. There were sort of some cliche things, but it looked good. And obviously, once the players sort of got out there, the thing to me that was was cool, which reminded me of, of a baseball game, is where you sort of see the action first, and then you hear it. So in warm-ups, someone takes a shot off the glass. You see the puck being fired. There's a sort of bit of a delay, and then you're sort of hit by this wall of sound. And they have all these mics that are focused on the rink to sort of pick up this this, this sound. And you have all the speakers around you, but it's an open air. So the sound is a little bit different. Um, the interesting thing was, from a presentation standpoint, this was supposed to be a Rangers away game, but on the Jumbotron or on City Vision, uh, there were a lot of the packages that play before games at, at Madison Square Garden. I would say the only thing that would give a Sabres vibe is that when they scored, they played their horn and goal song, and they obviously did the same thing for the Rangers, but uh, I was very happy to be able to go. I had as I wrote on, on banter, I, you know, I had, after seeing the 2012 winter classic and I knew a couple of people that went and they, they told me how awesome it was. And then I was excited that they were doing the stadium series. And, but then it coincided with me going back to school and me, I had planning on going to the game and then drive back, but then I didn't have my car and, you know, all that stuff. So that when I knew this was happening, I said, I have to have to have to go and I'll uh, there's probably a lot of recency bias in terms of how I feel about the winter classic as an event being that I attended it. And, and I'll probably feel different a year from now watching it on TV, but the best part of it. And I would have been, I don't, I wouldn't say I would have been mad if they lost, I would have been more annoyed, but throughout that entire game, I was just watching it and, and taking it in. I wasn't caring that, you know, Buchnevich was on the third line or what the defense pairings were or how they were, you know, playing tactically. It was just watching it and it was sort of reminding me of why, you know, I first fell in love with the sport, the the action, the the pace, the sounds and all that. And it's something that we become I would say somewhat cynical as we, we write and we're, we're, we're critical and, uh, of, of the team, but to be able to just watch a game, which it's a, it's a business, but it, at its core, it's, it's a game that's played that people enjoy was really spectacular. I was at the winter classic, the Rangers played against Philly. Um, we were credentialed. The website was, so we were in the press box, but they opened up the, they opened up like the glass. So you were basically, you had the same atmosphere that the people in the crowd did. And there's just, I don't want to say there was more novelty, but the, the winter classic was newer back then. And it, it, the novelty of hockey outside is just such a, it really does kind of take you back to your, your roots of being a kid and just, you know, playing hockey outside and you hear Shattenkirk, you hear Lundqvist, you hear all these players talk about how amazing it is and how much fun it is, but it's really fun to go to. And it's, it, it is something that you'll remember. Um, if it wasn't for the baby, I would have been there this year. I'm kind of upset. I missed it, but it's just as cold as it was. It's just part of the, it's just cool. It really is. And the NHL gets it right. I, I think where the NHL is kind of, 
where they've shot themselves in the foot a little bit is the fact that they're doing a lot of them. I mean, not that you're only getting one winter classic a year, but the stadium series. Yeah. Right. The heritage classic. There's just so many other outdoor games that if it was one a year, I'm not saying it would be the super bowl, but it's like the super bowl. You get one of them. It's the only one that there is. It's all it is. and, And it would have a little bit more of that, that sort of magic. I understand the monetizing it. It's not the worst idea in the world, but um, to see the Rangers be a part of it is cool. The camera angles are atrocious on television. You're probably better off going to the game. Um, it, that yeah. overhead, like, um, just that, that sky cam, it, oh. it lets you see the movement a little bit better on the power play. But outside of that, it's really not that helpful. Go ahead, Tom. You sound like you were going to say something. Oh, no, I was just referring to the, um, you're saying the overhead, the drone cam, but that's definitely, there. I would say there's two things that they can improve upon with the Winter Classic. Number one, they have the game on New Year's Day, and they do it at the time they do, allegedly because they don't want to compete with the, the college football games. But if you're the NHL, you should be tailoring this to your audience first, and then casual fans. So one of the things that were brought up is, well, the the shading because of the sun and, and the movement and, and stuff like that, where they should look into maybe you do a four o'clock start or maybe you do, maybe you even make it a night game, but maybe they don't want to do that because then it's, it's too cold for people. But the presentation should be better from visual. And they've, they set the rink up you know, it's in enough time in advance that they can sort of plot out camera angles. Or you don't even need a full-fledged rink. When they did the announcement way back when, I, I think it was late spring or early summer, when they, they had the the board sort of set up in a fashion where, the, where it was going to be, put in some cameras. See what it looks like. Get a general sense of what people are going to see because hockey is – probably one of the worst games to watch on TV. That's why I tell everybody, oh, I can't follow the puck in it or, or things like that. Go to a game. You watch a game once, it's a lot easier to follow it and you you sort of know what to look for. But yeah, the presentation is something that in year 10, definitely has got to be better. And it, it, But it is a lot of fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. It, it even melted Larry Brooks's heart. He wrote a nice little column about it. Um, Rick Carpinello did the same thing. If, if you have the opportunity to go, if you haven't gone yet, if the Rangers are back in it, um, even if it's a stadium series game, go. Because it's really – there's nothing like watching hockey under the – under the bright lights and being outside. I also find it hysterical that the Rangers are the road team in all of these because of some type of tax exemption that <laughs> Dolan gets so long as the Rangers don't play any home games outside of Madison Square Garden. But, you know, there's – if you can move past that, that's more of a Buffalo issue than it is for the Rangers since the Rangers, you know, uh, they had their goal horn, they were wearing their home jerseys. But – you're never going to see the Rangers play a winter classic or a stadium series with anybody other than the Devils, the Islanders, or the Sabres, because those are the only teams that could theoretically be a home game with the New York Rangers. But it was really cool. I'm glad that the Rangers won. They won in overtime. It was it was it's a, probably a great thing for for NBC. Everybody was probably thrilled. It's just you you look at the actual you know win or lose. You look at what the Rangers did, and you just make this realization that they probably should have been better than just squeaking by the sabers but you know that is uh that is what it is um thank you all for listening sorry we've kind of been doing the show at odd hours um that may sort of continue uh oh tom brought up a good point we should do a very quick world juniors update uh so the world junior championship is going on you have some stats here. Well, I saw Anderson won player of the tournament for the first, for like the round robin series. So there were, I believe it was for Team Sweden. They had three uh, players of, of the tournament. Uh, it was Anderson, Rasmus Dahlin, who's go number one overall, and it was Alex Nylander, uh, who is a Sabres prospect. So thus far, Anderson is second 
in goal scoring in the tournament. He's first among remaining players because Kiefer Bellows was ahead of him, but USA was eliminated seven points overall in six games played. And they will play the, yeah, six goals, which which is pretty good. He, there was a little bit of a scare. He was, he took a hit uh, towards the end of the game against Russia on New Year's Eve. And then he was sort of, a potential, you know, scratch for the, for the, you know, next two games, but he, he's playing and he's, I, w- I would defer to Adam. I think he might be writing something about it, but I think he's no worse for the wear and uh, Sweden will await the winner of Canada, uh, Canada and the Czech Republic, which he Czech Republic. You know, yes. He's two and two and four and five games played and he's won 69.69% of his faceoffs. It's a, it was it's been a good showing for the Rangers prospects. I think Anderson needed this way more than Heedle did, just in terms of like the Rangers fan base, because everybody was um, people just pick terrible opportunities to just complain about things. Anderson, listen, if you want to be upset that the Rangers went too safe with Anderson, that's fine. I think that's certainly a valid argument, but there's no reason to assume that he's not going to be a quality and he might not he's be. He's no Casey Middlestat. Right. Well, that's exactly what it is, even though he just beat him in uh, in this semifinals game. But it's just give players time. Like these are the same people that will give a player years of leash and then will turn on a prospect before the prospect has even really stepped onto the ice or even done anything. So um, I think this this time in Sweden and the World Juniors has been really good. For Anderson, uh, Hedl obviously is making waves in the um, in the AHL. Now he's doing the same thing. Yep, and I uh, could not be more happy that he's having success there. To be completely honest with you, because uh, I really believe that Hedl should have never left the NHL, and that he definitely should have gotten a longer look. But I think Anderson was somebody that people were a little bit worried about. Um, you know, he, he's he's dominating the. Uh, He's dominating the World Juniors right now. He's got 14 points in, in 22 SHL games. That's a, a hell of a jump up for a guy who had 19 all of last year in 42 games. So that's what you want to see. He also only had three goals in the World Juniors last year. Granted, he was 18. But, um, yeah, I think we're, we're seeing some really good things out of Anderson right now. Um, but, yeah, we will we'll definitely – Adam is going to have some more on that. He, he We've kind of been – covering this as, as best we can. I think this is the first time the Rangers have had some really high-level prospects in the tournament in a few years, so it is definitely fun to see. Um, thank you also to our Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash blueshirtbanter, Anthony Viola, John J. Porter, John Reppy, John Alo, Alex Gardner, Eric Cohn, Alexander Ricard, Andrew Chicagoff. God, I said I was going to remember your name. Um, Chicagoff. I'm going with that. Tell me if I'm wrong. Daniel DeJan, Matt Bader, George Littman, Guy from Montana, Andrew Grigo, Stink Fleeman, Dan Lynch, Mike Offit, Trevor Kepner, Gabriel Vargas, Dan Carosi, David L. Singer, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Scott Potash, Darwin Bushman, James Dangles, Alexander Thornton, Grumpy Smokey, Igor Zatlavsky, Thomas Osa, Chris B., and Michael Silvers. Thank you all for donating. Um, we really appreciate it. You guys make uh, an enormous difference in keeping this show um, the way that it is. And thank you for kind of dealing with our strange times. Having a baby has been awesome, but I also try to go to sleep at like eight thirty, nine o'clock on work days, just because, um, yeah, sleep is a little hard to come by. Also, harrys.com slash blue shirt banter. If you want, I think we had three people sign up for the, uh, for like the free razor set. You just have to pay for shipping and handling. If we get seven more, I'm going to eat seven one more. of those. Yeah, I'm going to eat that shaving cream. It is the best smelling shaving cream in the world. It is not going to taste good, but that is my problem, not yours, and you can watch it. Um, But, yeah, patreon.com slash blueshirtbanter. If you are a $5 subscriber or more, you get behind-the-scenes access on patreon.com slash blueshirtbanter. That has been kind of empty because we started that a week before I had the baby, which was maybe not the smartest idea in the world. But um, Mike (laughs) is coming back from Canada at the end of the week, and – um, me doing the show a little earlier has kind of screwed things up with Beth. Tom has been happy to jump in. We'll have him on, Shana on. Uh, you know, it's going to be a crazy, 
crazy 2018, but thank you all for the support you've given the show through 2017 since it started. Again, please leave reviews on iTunes if you can. Um, we really appreciate those. And yeah, here's to a wonderful 2017. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Joe Fortunato BSB. Tom is Tom U-R-T-Z Jr. Um, J-R, not the whole word. And you can also follow the hub at Blue Shirt Banter. My old handle is now the hub that is basically an RSS feed for the stories that we're writing on the website. And also we have a live tweeter for every single game on there. So, yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything. Tom, thank you so much for jumping in. Um, And, yeah, we will see you guys next week. Have a good one, Joe. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah.